Will you pray with me? We learned it as children, Lord. What can I give him? As small as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I was a wise man, I would do my heart. But what I have, I give him. I give my heart. May it truly be so today, King Jesus. Amen. You know, I cannot remember a time when I did not love Christmas. The lights, the music, the joy. You know, it's funny that I really was the only one in my family who really had that feeling about Christmas. And when I was about 10 or 12 years old, my mother handed over the job of picking the tree and decorating the tree to 12-year-old me. Now, I obviously needed an accomplice, and my mother chose my grandfather to be the one to help me on this mission. So my grandfather, who we affectionately called Papa, would call me and say, hey, I'll pick you up at such and such a time. And I would be waiting for him long before he was supposed to come. And I would go to the window, and you know how you can press your face against the window and get just a little bit more of the view? And I would look down the road, and I would say, Mama, do you think he's almost here? He should be here by now, don't you think? How much longer do you think it will be? Do you think he's left yet? And my mother, in that annoyed voice that mothers can have so well, she said, Ken, a watched pot never boils. Well, I had never heard that expression before. And I thought about it. What does she really mean? And I understood that what she meant was a watched papa never boils. And I needed to sit down and stop all the commentary. So I plopped down on the couch where she was watching TV. And you know, it seemed like only that long. And, and papa was there. She was right. A watched pot never boils. Important lesson to 12-year-old me, it is better not to watch while you wait. Or is it? You know, 2,000 years ago, if you had asked any living, breathing soul walking the streets of Jerusalem, if they were waiting for the Messiah, every single solitary one of them would have said that they were waiting every day, that they were waiting every minute. But I don't know, maybe they were waiting on the couch watching TV too because, well, a watched pot never boils and there's no point in watching, right? But you know, when the Messiah arrived, that beautiful starry night, they missed out. They, most of them, totally missed the entire thing. I think we often equate waiting and watching as kind of the same thing, or at least that they go hand in hand. But, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. Just because you're waiting, does that mean that you're really watching? When it comes to the Christmas story, you know, we think of a lot of the, the main characters, the cast of characters, we know who they are. And I want to ask you to think about it today. Were those people waiting? 
or were they watching? Well, you know, first on the list, of course, would have to be Joseph and Mary, right? And, you know, no one in all the world watches and waits like expectant parents. Do I hear an amen? Yes, okay. So Mary and Joseph, they were in. They were all in. They were waiting and they were watching. But then we have the angels. Now, the angels had clearly been watching at the window for centuries, waiting to see how God would solve this horrible problem on our planet. And when they finally watched as he emptied out himself into a tiny little frail human infant, I think they couldn't believe their eyes. And so they watched among the people to see who would get it. And, and they watched, and they watched, and they watched. But they watched in vain because there really seemed to be no one who was really in tune to what was going on that night. I think most of Israel was not just sitting on the couch watching TV. I think they had their fuzzy blankets and were maybe even sleeping. Now, we know about the shepherds, right? The shepherds were out on the hillside. They were watching their sheep, and we know that they were talking about the Messiah. We know that they were waiting for him to come, that they, they were eager, that it was in their hearts. It was something they really, really wanted. But, you know, when those angels kind of came out of nowhere and started, you know, the first angel talked to them and they started singing, it scared the, scared the daylights out of them. You know, they had, may have been watching for, for jackals or for wolves, but those, those shepherds in no way were expecting angels, and they were totally unprepared. Now, early in the Christmas story, we have the mention of Zechariah and Elizabeth. You remember them, right? They were the older couple, and the angel comes to Zechariah and says, Hey, I know you guys don't have any children, but you're going to have a baby, and he is going to be like Elijah. He is going to go in front of the coming Messiah, the soon coming Messiah. And we also know that Mary went and visited Elizabeth. You know, we know that, that really cool part of the story. But you ever hear of Elizabeth and Zechariah after that? There, there's no record of them in the biblical narrative. You know, I guess waiting that long for a baby kind of was pretty distracting when you actually had one and you could really watch him. I don't know. But then came the Magi, the wise men from afar. It's funny that how they were more in tune with what was going on in Israel than anybody else really was. As observers of the skies, they had for a long time believed in intelligent design, and they had studied the Hebrew scriptures. They had studied the prophecies. They had studied some of the writings of their own. Some of you may remember in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, 
Numbers 24, 17, where Balaam writes prophetically, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Judah, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, you see, the ancestors of the Magi, they had done the waiting. But these guys, they put together the prophecies, the scriptures, and the star, packed their bags, threw in some frankincense, myrrh, and gold, and took off. You know, when they arrived in Jerusalem, the priests and the rulers were not very impressed. They looked down at them. Because, of course, we all know that the priests and rulers were the ones who understood the word of God, right? And so they had no interest in these heathens who appeared with strange stories. So besides Mary and Joseph and the Magi, we only have on record two other people who were watchers. It was Simeon and Anna. They were old and decrepit and kind of like, I don't know, part of the furniture of the temple. I guess that probably people, when they came in there, they probably didn't even notice them too much. But you know, they hadn't just been waiting. Oh no. Simeon and Anna, they had been studying the scriptures. They had been studying the prophecies and they had been watching. When Mary and Joseph came in as just one peasant family with one more baby, they didn't need introductions. They didn't need any explanations. They recognized him immediately. Because, you see, they were watching. Important lesson to an older than 12-year-old me. It is better to watch while you wait if you don't want to miss what's most important. So let me ask you, what is a watcher? How many of you have used that word this week? <laughs> yeah, me neither. It's because watchers in our society are kind of obsolete. They're not part of our culture. They're not part of our mindset. But in Bible times, their role was absolutely mandatory. The watchers perched out over the crops on towers, making sure that animals or invaders did not take them. They walked along the walls of the city, being aware night and day of what was going on outside those city walls. They weren't like park rangers who wanted to point out the scenic view. Now, their job was to be the very first ones to detect any danger to the community. Now, today, we have security systems and radar and a whole bunch of technology that I, I don't begin to understand. But in the Bible, they had watchers. And the entire community depended on those people to make sure that they were safe. Now, the Bible talks a lot about watchers and about uh, the watching and I'm sure that you can think of a lot of different stories. You know, I think of, in the Old Testament, I think of Ezekiel. You know, Ezekiel was a prophet, and he prophesied some pretty harsh punishment 
for the watchman who saw the danger and didn't warn the people. That has rung through time. And then in the Gospels, you know, Jesus speaks about watching. And I think the one that's dearest to my heart is where Jesus comes to his best friends and he asks them, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because he is about to enter the most intense and dangerous battle of his life in Gethsemane as he stands against Satan and his own human nature. He begs his friends to watch and pray. But you know what happens, right? His friends turn out to be better sleepers than watchers. Further on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks often about watching and watchers. One of the things he says in 1 Thessalonians 5 is, let's not sleep as others do, but watch and be sober. You know, all of these writers throughout the Bible, when they talk about watchmen, they're talking about danger and the need to warn those around so that they can be on guard. And I have to think that all of us sitting here today and all of you watching online, we're called to do the same. It is not enough for us to just be waiting. We need to seriously look and take that watching part to heart. But is watching in our culture really necessary? I mean, can't we just set an alarm? That would be so much easier. Now, if I asked any of you, if you are good at waiting, how many of you would raise your hand? <laughs> no, me neither. I am so horrible at waiting. I mean, just the worst. But we all have to do it, right? We wait in traffic. We wait for the, for the doctor to call our names at the office. We wait on Sabbath morning when that last person is in the family is not quite ready yet and we have to wait for him or her to join us. We have to wait. But the good thing is we have this little wonderful anti-waiting device, right? Because we wouldn't want to waste time. So while we are waiting, it makes it so nice. We carry it everywhere and we can check our email. We can send a text. We can scroll through Instagram or Facebook. We can play games. The options are endless. My brain is always distracted when I am waiting. Isn't that so nice? But watching, hmm. That's a little different, right? And I don't mean something like watching Netflix or watching the football game. I mean like watching with, with no phone. Maybe like sitting on a hillside in the dark and waiting and watching for the dawn. How many of you would make it till dawn? And how many of you might just doze off? Yeah, me too. We're kind of hard on the watchmen and we're kind of hard on the disciples, but guess what? We would have a hard time with that too if we're pretty honest. You know, I think there's a whole different attitude, however, about watching when danger is introduced, right? There's a, there's a difference between I'm sitting on the hillside watching for the dawn and I am 
watching as I am walking down the streets of Baltimore by myself in the dark on streets I don't know. Watching has a whole different element when you insert danger. And watching really kind of becomes a survival technique. The truth is that like the disciples, even in danger, I think all of us here are not so good at watching. We're better sleepers. In Matthew 25, Jesus told a very familiar parable about 10 young women who had a similar problem. It was the day of the wedding, and they were waiting for the bridegroom because when the bridegroom comes, that means that it's time for the party to begin. So they were waiting, and they were looking down the road, waiting for him to come. As they waited, they chatted. They probably talked about, oh, how lovely your new robe is, or I really like your new headdress. And the day went on and on, and it got dusk, and and it got dark, and, and they weren't really watching so much anymore. They were kind of getting tired. You know, of course, in that culture, they had been up since before dawn, and it had been a long day, and they had been waiting all day, and they kind of kind of started getting a little sleepy. Um, They had some lamps, and so they wanted to have a little bit of light, so they they lit their lamps, and they sat there, and one by one, they kind of dozed off until all of them, all 10, were sound asleep. You know the story, right? The sound says, hey, the bridegroom's coming, and they wake up, the girls jerk awake, they scramble in the darkness, they grab their lamps, and all of them have gone out. But five of the girls had brought some extra oil. And so they lit their lamps. The bridegroom came. They went into the wedding feast with him. And the other five, they just missed out on the whole event. When they finally got some more oil, they went and they knocked at the door. And this is one of the hardest stories for me because the bridegroom comes to the door And he looks at the girls and he says, he doesn't even know who they are. You know, in our modern vernacular, we might say, oh, those girls are dead to me. And I have to wonder, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. Could it be that waiting without watching is just as dead. I mean, even dangerous. Jesus says, just imagine the feeling. Jesus says, I don't know you. Can you think of anything that is more dangerous than that? I guess the parallels I'm trying to make are are pretty obvious. thousand years after the manger, if you ask any living, breathing, solitary soul in the Seventh-day Adventist church, if they are waiting for the Messiah, every single one of us would say, yes, every day, every minute. But I wonder if we also are crashed out on the couch 
watching TV, or, or maybe napping beside our, our unlighted lamps. Because, well, a watch pot never boils, right? What's the point? And we do have stuff to do. It's Christmas, right? Someone's got to put up the tree and someone's got to do the shopping. Someone's got to wrap the gifts. Someone's got to put together beautiful Christmas programs, right? And, and then there's the cooking. I mean, whether you cook for the homeless or whether you cook for the, your family, there's a lot of cooking to do. Who's going to bake the cookies, right? And I think that sometimes we're just so distracted. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you put on your seasonal Christmas list the words, watch for Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know it kind of sounds ridiculous, and I know that you guys think I'm really stretching it like way past what's practical. You can roll your eyes, I understand. I know that you're thinking that we are not sleeping. We are paying attention. We have studied the scriptures, we know the prophecies, and We know that no one right now is talking about any forced days of worship. All of us will be able to buy and sell and go out and get our Christmas goodies at the grocery store like we always have. We are in no immediate danger, Pastor Candace. I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't coming in the next 14 days. So maybe you just need to back off and stop giving us a guilt trip. But if you're feeling that way, I think maybe you're missing the point. I know that you all love stories because you tell me that, so I have a story for you. There is an old legend about a man who was a known smuggler. He was known at the borders and watched by the authorities. His name was Nasruddin, and he frequently crossed the border between his country and the neighboring country. And the border guards recognized him, they knew him, They watched out for him. One day, he approached the border leading a donkey that had on it a great big bundle of straw. The border patrol recognized Nesrudin immediately. Halt, what is your business here? He said harshly. I am an honest man, said Nesrudin. (laughs) Really, said the inspector. Let's open up those bundles of straw. You will find nothing, said Nasruddin. But do as you wish. So the watcher, who was at the border, looked through everything, tore apart the bundles of straw, found nothing. I suppose you've managed to get over on me today, he said. You may pass. And Nasruddin went on his way. The next day, Nazaruddin comes back again. And this time on his donkey is a great big bundle of sticks. The border guard says, I'm going to get him this time. He goes through the sticks. He goes through Nazaruddin's clothing, his pack. He even looks under the harness of the donkey. Finds absolutely nothing. And he had to let Nazaruddin pass again. And so it went every day. Nazruddin would arrive at the border with loads of different kinds of merchandise loaded on his donkey. And it was clear that he was making money because his clothing got a little finer 
and he had a few more rings on his fingers. He was really quite the successful man. But the guy at the border kept watching and looking and trying to figure it out. And he thought, well, maybe if I check in the donkey's mouth, maybe if I check underneath his hooves. But he never was able to find the contraband. Finally, when the inspector was an old man and he had given up his work, he saw Nezrudin in a crowded marketplace and he called him over. Hey, come over here. He says, you know, you may not recognize me, but I was the inspector all those years when you were passing the border. And I knew, I knew that you were smuggling something, but I never could figure it out what it was. I'm retired now. You know, there's no consequences. But would you just please, for my peace of mind, would you tell me what it was you have been smuggling all those years? And Nazrudin just looked at him with a wry smile and said just one word. Donkeys. <laughs> you know, I guess each of us who are waiters and watchers, we have to ask the same question today. What are we looking for? Are we really watching for the right thing? And is it possible that as we dissect the headlines, as we hear of more tragedies, just like the one we've heard today about the tornadoes, as we hear these things, do we miss what is most obvious, the thing that we should be watching for the most? You know, at the first Advent, I think that all the people we mentioned really were watching. While they were waiting, they were just watching the wrong thing. You know, every day they watched in the temple as the lamb was sacrificed. They saw it. They saw the blood. But they saw it with no impact whatsoever on their hearts. You know, the leaders in the church, the priests and the scribes, they were busy watching too. They were watching each other. They were making sure that each of them were very careful to carefully adhere to those man-made laws. And it was their job to make sure they were condemned and punished if those laws were broken. Every day, people were watching. The shepherds watched their sheep. The carpenters watched their hammers. The tax collectors watched those shekels as they piled them up and put them in their pockets. Everyone had to make a living, right? And everyone had to do their duty. The moms and the dads, kind of like Elizabeth and Zachariah, they had to watch their kids. I mean, what was more important than that? But could it be that while they were watching all the busy things of their lives, they lost sight of what was going on inside of them, in their own hearts? In all our wisdom, in all of our experience in understanding prophecy, could we be so self-assured that we understand about watching that we might be watching for the wrong thing? 
Can we be so sure of ourselves that we know about the time of trouble that we're missing the greatest danger of all? I know you've looked at the headlines, all of you, and I know that you have your lists, but I want to ask you a question. How often since Thanksgiving have you taken a serious, slow look at your heart and your relationship with Jesus? How long has it been since you took inventory of your oil and what you need to keep your heart burning? Few days actually go by in my life as a pastor when somebody doesn't say to me, Jesus is coming soon. We fear the pandemic. We fear global financial crisis. We fear laws that will make us unable to worship like this on the seventh day. But I have to tell you that all of those are small compared with the greatest danger of all. The danger, like those five women outside the party, of thinking that everything is right, of thinking that we are in, of thinking that everything around us is going to be good. When we haven't realized that in watching all that is going on around us, we've missed the most important and the greatest risk to all of us. Because really, our hearts belong to ourselves. Today, I think we sit perched on the pinnacle of time, not unlike the people at the first advent. Are we like the priests in the temple, aware of the meaning of the sacrifice of the lamb, but just kind of bored with our own spiritual routine and our religious living? Are we like the shepherds? We know the prophecies, but we've got work to do. There's duties. We've got things that have to be done. Are we like those 10 young women waiting for the bridegroom who made the same mistake I did when I was a 12-year-old girl? A watched pot never boils, so it's better not to watch while you wait. In our plugged-in world, there's precious little time to just sit and watch. And we are so bad at it. When we have a few minutes to be still and know that he is God, you know we're distracted by this, right? You know we pick it up and we check something. We start scrolling, we check our emails, our to-do list, the latest stocks, the latest scores particularly during the month of December when we have to see if our Amazon order has arrived. There's not a moment to waste. And my guess is that even as we have been sitting here today, you have watched someone sitting near you pick this up and check something. Or maybe you've even done it yourself. 
Many years ago, about the same time that I was decorating that Christmas tree with my papa, I stumbled upon a verse in the book of Proverbs that really had a lot of meaning to me as a kind of an angsty teenager. But as I get older, it means even more to me. And I hold it a little closer to my heart. In Proverbs 4, 23, Solomon writes, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And you know, this week as I was studying and looking at the Hebrew, I realized that the word for guard can also be translated watch. Watch your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In the story of the second advent of Jesus, you know, there's also a list of characters. And your name and my name are on that roster. You know, we don't have a lot of shepherds on the list, but we do have a lot of medical personnel. We have businessmen and women. We have factory workers and custodians. We have moms staying at home. We have teachers. We have students. And the names are all carefully listed. And you know, I think the angels are watching out the window at us just as carefully as they were 2,000 years ago. They're watching us here in this congregation and all of you online watching to see what we are going to do. From an angel's perspective, what do you think they're seeing today as they are scanning this congregation and those online? What do they see? Will they see us among the waiters who are comfortably curled up on the couch with our fuzzy blankets, ready for a nap, pretty unconcerned about the world situation or really what's in our hearts? Or can they see that we are watchers who not only assess the world situation with a wise perspective, but who really personally know the bridegroom and have their faces pressed up against the glass because each of us want to be the first one to catch a glimpse of his face because we have already made the choice to invite him to permanently live in our hearts. Lord Jesus, you know. You know the heart of every person who is listening. You know the doubts and you know the games. You know the way that we're deluded sometimes and you know the way we are so distracted during this Christmas. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us 
and truly help each of us to look past the sparkles and the trees, the presents and the lists, and just as simply say in that childlike prayer, what can I give him, small as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb, and if I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what I have, I give him. I truly give him my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for wanting our hearts, each of them, and coming just with that goal in mind. I pray in your name and thank you. Just thank you so much for coming.